reading in verse number 15, and read down through verse number 20. We will read responsively, that means we'll read every other verse out loud together. So I'll begin in verse 15, I'll read the odd-numbered verses by myself, we'll read the even-numbered verses together. Verse 15, the Bible says, And they came to Jesus, and see him that was possessed with, uh, with the devil, and had uh, the, the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Together, verse 16, And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil, and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that we might, howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things that Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. I want to preach a sermon this morning entitled this, How to Help a Hurting Friend. How to Help a Hurting Friend. Let's pray. Lord, would you take the Scriptures today and help us as we look at this passage and do our best to understand a man who had friends, but was broken and so broken that he had to be pushed away uh, from a normal relationship. And Lord, how that you came into his life and how you healed him. And then he went and was able to help his friends. And so, Lord, help us as we look at this passage to understand it. Lord, I pray for those here today that just don't quite have a crystal clear understanding of what it means to be saved. What it means to be on their way to heaven. For those here that came in with some preconceived idea that isn't scriptural, help them to be willing to set those to the side and, Lord, listen to what your word has to say. Spirit of God, speak to each of us and and help us with the needs that we have. Draw those that need, need it closer to you. And, Lord, may you do a great work here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I, uh, I'm 35 years old. My hairline makes me look like I'm 45 years old. I've been the pastor here for three years, a little over three years. And I've been in church ministry for a little over ten years. And I've been in church, around church ministry, my whole life. My dad was uh, an assistant pastor, uh, worked on a, a church staff uh, my entire life. And so... Uh, I've been around church a long time, and I've also learned my humor from my father. And so if my humor comes across as corny this morning, I'm going to ask that you just laugh anyway, okay? Uh, with this being friend day, I have a few friend jokes that I would like to tell you, okay? So just, uh, just prepare yourself. These are Laffy Taffy style jokes. Everybody okay? We know what we're doing? Okay, here's the first one, all right? It says... I brought my friend an elephant for his room. He said, thanks. I said, don't mention it. The elephant in the room? Oh, okay. All right, they get better. Okay. (laughs) 
I've found a job helping a friend who is a one-armed typist do capital letters. It's shift work. (laughs) Okay. One more. I have an EpiPen. My friend gave it to me when he was dying. It seemed very important to him that I have it. If your friend gives you an EpiPen and they're dying, use it, okay? Uh, don't hold on to it. All right. So, uh, but uh, thank, thank God for good friends. Thank God for good friends. There's, a, uh, there's an old cartoon. Uh, it's a Charlie Brown uh, cartoon. And when I say cartoon, I don't mean the one that come on TV. I mean the cartoon section of the newspaper. There's an old Charlie Brown picture in a cartoon where two of the characters, what was, what was the bald-headed with one hair on the top? What was that kid's name? Linus. Linus is sitting there next to Snoopy, and they're sitting on the dock, and it's a shot from the rear, uh, the, from behind them. You see the, the back of their heads, and they're just their, their feet are hanging off the dock. And if you know the show, you know the cartoon, Linus seemed to always never be able to get anything right. And Snoopy was his loyal pal through uh, thick and thin. Aren't you glad for folks who are there for you in good times and bad times? Aren't you thankful for people who are just your friend? All the time, and I, I can think back through uh, my, my years of 12 years of marriage. Uh, God's given me a wonderful wife and two children, and um, w- boy, we have been through some crazy stuff. And if you've lived in the adult life long enough, you've been through some crazy stuff. And it's good to have, if you're married, it's good to have that friend, that spouse who's there with you. Uh, through that. Some of you uh, can't look at a spouse and say that, but maybe you have the person sitting next to you today that invited you today. You know that if you were going through a tough time and that if, if life just took a bitter, hard turn on you and you lost your health, you lost your wealth, you lost your job, whatever it would be, uh, some bitterness of soul type situation, situation, there is that person in your life who's, who you know you could pick up the phone and call and they're just there for you. And I have to say I'm thankful for friends, the Bible says, "He that hath friends." In Proverbs, it says, "He that hath friends must show himself friendly." And I'm glad for all of the folks in my life who have been friendly with me and allowed me to be friendly back. And I, I got to tell you, sometimes people test your friendship, do they not? They push those things to an extreme, and sometimes your friends can be testy and and it can make it tough. But uh, if you're a good friend and a godly friend, you're willing to be there for them even through the thick and the thin. Another verse in Proverbs says that uh, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a friend sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. Uh, there are days, there are some Sundays where I get up and I've just had a bad week or maybe a bad day or a bad day coming or the previous day and, and I get up and, and I don't really want to come to church but I'm sort of employed here and I have to be here. Okay, so I have to be here. Um, but I get up and I come, and there there have been plenty of times in my life where I wasn't a pastor, and, and I'd get up and, and get dressed and come to church, and my my spirit was sideways, and things were off. And, and I'd come to church, and I would find my friends at church. And I came in sort of a sour face, and I left with a smile on my face. And that's what the Bible says, as iron sharpeneth iron, so a friend sharpeneth. The countenance of his friend. I'm thankful for good friends. I'm thankful for friends who are there through thick and thin. Uh, have you ever had those friends that seem to only come around when things are good? 
You know the prodigal son in Luke 16. He uh, he went. Uh, he, he took his dad's inheritance, share of dad's inheritance. The Bible says he went to a far country and he wasted his substance or his money on riotous living. You know what that means, right? He was at the bar every night. Uh, he was he was wasting it on 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 liquor and women and and all of that uh, loose type living. Um, and the Bible says that he had a lot of friends when he had money. But when the money ran out, his friends disappeared. His friends disappeared. Uh, in preparation for the message this morning, I read every verse in the Bible that has the word friend in it. And you know what I found in the book of Proverbs? Proverbs is written by Solomon, maybe the richest man ever to live. Some have estimated his wealth in American dollars, today's a day, to be well in excess of $300 billion he would have been worth. We don't have anybody that comes close to that, I believe, currently. But uh, over and over again Proverbs, uh, in Proverbs, where Solomon's writing this book, he talks about how that wealth maketh friends. Wealth maketh friends. Wealth maketh friends. And how that if you seem to have money, boy, the friends come out of the woodwork. Try winning Publishers Clearinghouse tomorrow and see how many relatives you didn't know you had come out of the woodwork. You, you get what I'm saying? And uh, you, you almost want to keep that kind of thing private. Wealth maketh friends. And I'm thankful for those friends who don't need me to have money to be my friend. They're just there for me. And they care for me. And they see that I'm down and they shoot me a text or they give me a call or uh, they know I'm in the hospital or having a hard time and they come to visit me. They're not looking to get anything from me. They're, they're just looking to be a good friend. And today I want to talk about uh, um, uh, uh, an odd, awkward, hard friendship in the Bible. Someone who the city had tried to help and uh, they had done everything they could to help, but this man had so many problems that they had to isolate him and put him outside of the outskirts of town and say, we cannot be with you. And we're going to look at that story today here in Mark chapter 5. I have three main points. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find a fill-in-the-blank outline. If you got a bulletin, I would encourage you to get a pen and fill in those blanks as we go. Uh, each, of the, each of the points here will be up on the screen. And so uh, if you don't hear exactly what I say or can't remember what I said, you can reference it off the screen up here to help you. And so that will also help you keep track of how much we have left until we're finished. Amen? And so you'll get a, a lot out of that. Okay, let's look at three points today out of this passage. And let's talk about this topic of how to help a hurting friend. Point number one of the message this morning is this, a troubled friend. A troubled friend. Go back to Mark chapter number five. And let's look at the very beginning of uh, the chapter here. Let me give you letter A, his unclean spirit. His unclean spirit. Look at Mark chapter five. And let's begin in verse one. It says, and they came, speaking of Jesus and the disciples, they came over unto the other side of the sea, that's the Sea of Galilee, into the country of the Gadarenes. So he's entering into a country called Gadara. The people who live there are called Gadarenes. Verse 2, And when he was come out of the ship, he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man, look at that last phrase, with an unclean spirit. With an unclean spirit. You say, what was this unclean spirit? This unclean spirit, to just go, get right to it, was a demon. This man was demon 
possessed, demon possessed. Look down at verse number 9 and we'll see the severity of his demonic possession. And, and here Jesus is interacting with the man and Jesus or he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered saying, my name is Legion for we are many. My name is Legion for we are many. This man had not just invited one unclean spirit to possess him. He had invited dozens, hundreds, possibly thousands. In fact, the word legion means thousands. Thousands of demons to possess him. Now, we talk about a troubled friend. This man had friends back in town, but he was troubled, and his trouble was that he had gotten so involved in the occult that he had invited demons to live inside of him and possess him. He had an unclean spirit, an unclean spirit. Now, I have only met in my lifetime as a minister a handful of people that I suspected were demon-possessed. I mean, full-blown, invited a demon to live inside of them and uh, control them. I've only met a handful of people like that. And I have to tell you, that's some of the most uncomfortable situations that I've ever been put in. Uh, have you ever watched the news when there's a mass shooting? I think of the Aurora, uh, Colorado theater shooting, some of these mass school shootings. If you ever watch the news and you see the mugshot of one of these killers and you look at their eyes, something looks off in the eyes. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what I believe that is? The eye, the Bible says, the, well, I don't know if the Bible says this, but you've heard it said, the eye is the window to the soul. I believe what you're seeing in those eyes is someone who's demon-possessed. Now, I may be wrong. That's my opinion. I want to make sure I state it that way. Uh, but what would cause someone to take a firearm uh, or a handful of firearms and go into a place where innocent people are and just start mowing people down? That's not normal. That's not normal. And I didn't bring you in here this morning or have you invited to come here this morning to get into the whole gun debate thing. Listen, no, there's opinions all over the room on that and, and we respect yours, whatever it is. I'm more talking about the person behind the weapon right now, that demonic possession. Can I tell you that I, as, as sinful and loose as America, American culture has become, I still don't think the norm is for people to walk around controlled by a demon. But can I tell you what I do believe is that all of us on some level, if we're not careful, can invite demonic activity to influence us. The Bible talks about a spiritual war that is going on over our heads. The forces of good, that's God, and the forces of evil, that's Satan. They clash uh, uh, in in a war that cannot be seen with uh, human eyes. It's a heavenly or an eternal battle that takes place. And that battle is to control or influence the world and the people in it. And I'm going to tell you today that there are plenty of things that we can invite into our lives that influence us, that control us, that push us to a decision that brings us to a point of misery. Can I tell you something about this man that met Jesus when he got off the boat? He was not a happy camper. He was uh, he was distraught. We'll look at that more in a minute. He was not in a good place. Why? Because sin always destroys. Sin always destroys. You come in this room this morning and you say, Pastor Lejeune, all in all, uh, I try to be a good person. And, and if you are going to say that, I'm going to take you at your word and believe you. But one thing is for certain, and that is that there is none righteous, Romans 3 says, no, not one. 
I'm standing up here today with a suit on and my, my, my four hairs on my head brushed and I've got uh, my teeth brushed and I put on some deodorant this morning. I took a shower and I shaved and I'm giving you the best version of me. But can I tell you that what's behind this facade is a heart that is bent toward, desi- desiring to do, leaning toward sin. That's not just me, that's you too. That's all of us. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We don't believe that you're born into the world and the world corrupts you. We're born believing, or we believe that you're born in the world with a nature a bend toward doing wrong. And as someone who has two children at home, I'm going to tell you that uh, I did not teach my child how to lie. They figured that one out pretty quick on their own. I didn't teach my children how to be deceptive. They had that one figured out in the first few days that they were alive, crying when their diaper was changed and they were burped and everything was great, but they're crying. They know how to triangulate and manipulate and work. And listen, we're born with a sin nature and that sin is pushed on us, pressed on us by unclean spirits in the world around us. Now, I don't want to make the sermon weird or spooky, but let me just give you a couple of visible evidences of this. There are substances in this world, like alcohol, that push people toward a spirit of oppression and even depression. Uh, Alcohol has several names. One of them is booze. One of them is spirits. Spirits. Do you think it's called that on accident? You think it's called out on accident. And this is just one example. By the way, our attitude, our pride can be lifted up and we can butt heads with an authority figure and that brings about uh, a spirit that isn't pleasant, a spirit that is sad. Let me ask you this morning this question. When you're all by yourself and there's no music playing, there's no television on, it's just you in a quiet space and it's you and your thoughts, is there a little bit of distress? Is there a little bit of dismay? Is there a little bit of unhappiness in your life, there may be evidence that you may not be as troubled as this gentleman was, but that you are a troubled friend. His unclean spirit. Letter B, notice with me, his unavoidable separation. His unavoidable separation. Look back at chapter 5 and look at verse number 2. And when he, Jesus, was come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man of the tombs. Of the graveyard, a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 3, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not the chains. So, he was living in the graveyard. I don't know anyone that lives in a graveyard. I don't know anyone that lives in a graveyard. Now, I know people that go visit the graveyard, and sometimes teenagers go to the graveyard to play pranks or to be funny, but I don't know anyone who, who makes their abode in the tombs. Why was he living there? Well, uh, uh, Satan uh, loves to honor and worship death. In fact, God is the giver of life. And before Satan came around and caused humanity to sin way back in the Garden of Eden in Genesis uh, uh, chapter 3, before that ever happened, all there was was life. The flowers lived forever and the trees and uh, botany and the, the animal, the animal kingdom and humans lived forever. And what happened when Satan came along, he tempted Eve to sin and she ate of the fruit, she disobeyed the Lord and then uh, uh, Eve tempted Adam to sin, and then sin brought death. James chapter um, uh, 1 tells us, When lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it is finished, the end result is sin, it bringeth forth death. His unavoidable separation. By the way, the word death means separation. Separation. Where was this man put? He was put in a graveyard. No, his body 
was not yet dead, but his friends had said, you're just as good as dead to us. We cannot help you. We know not what to do with you. You need to be separated from us. You go live in the, tomb, in the tombstones. You go live in the graveyard. You know what sin in my life does is it hurts relationships. It hurts relationships. I think of a, a wife who's been betrayed by a husband who has been proud and stubborn and selfish. I think of a husband who's been betrayed by a wife on those same terms. I think of, uh, I think of uh, an adult child who will not have a communication with his parents. And you, what you can always find is pride and sin and selfishness. And in all practical senses, the body may not be dead, but there is separation. There is relational death that occurs. That occurs. Why? Because sin brings separation. Sin brings death. Now, we are looking at an extreme example of a troubled friend. Can I tell you that you don't have to fit all the way to that end of the pendulum to still be troubled? There are plenty of people who live what is a normal life. They work a job. They, they, they have friends on some level. They even have some good friends. But deep down inside, they're troubled. They're troubled. And you don't have to be so troubled that you've been rejected by society, rejected by people, but you can still be troubled. His unavoidable separation, letter C, notice his unimaginable strength. Look at chapter 5, verse number 3. Who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Do you know what makes uh, the occult so alluring to so many of our youth and even some adults? Do you know what? Um, uh, do you know why folks love to worship uh, in their own way uh, things that are sinful in nature? They enjoy that because Satan has a set of power he can give people. Satan has a set of power he can give people. You know, as I go through the Old Testament, and the Old Testament a lot of people are scared of and they try to avoid, but as a pastor, I've read through the Old Testament and studied it plenty. But as I go through the Old Testament, what I find is that the Israelites, God's chosen people, way, way back, thousands of years ago, they kept falling in the trap of, a, of idolatry, meaning that they had uh, some idol, some stone idol, and they would go bow down to that idol, and God would say, stop worshiping the stone or the golden calf and worship me. And as a little boy, I would read that or I would hear that in Sunday school and I would think to myself, what is the big deal? What was the temptation to bow down to something you made out of your hands and worship that? And I never understood it and I always struggled with it. And one day it dawned on me that there was some satanic power behind those idols. And they were getting some sort of satanic buzz, some sort of power trip from worshiping those idols. This man had invited Satan to come live inside of him because Satan had given him a strength that no man could tame. He was able to rip chains off. I have heard stories of some very popular uh, music artists who have gone to Satan in a seance and said, if you will make me popular, I will open up my soul for you to dwell in. And they immediately hit the top of the charts and stayed there for Years and years and years. You think Satan isn't a powerful person? Now, while they may have seen popularity and fame, that doesn't mean it was all, you know, 
peaches and cream and roses. They, they had their share of struggles. And uh, they've had their share of heartache. Because Satan, you know what Satan does? You listen to me this morning? Satan will use you, and then when he's done with you, he'll just throw you in the trash. He just throws you in the trash. Satan doesn't love you. Satan's, this world doesn't love you. Uh, you know who loves you? Jesus loves you. God loves you. God has a plan for your life. We're going to look at this man had turned himself over to Satan and he had received an unbelievable amount of strength. The trade-off was that he was separated from his friends. Uh, and uh, now, well, let's look at letter D and notice his utter sorrow. His utter sorrow. Look at verse number 5 of Mark 5. It says, And always night and day he was in the mountains and in the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. Crying and cutting himself with stones. Now, this part of the sermon is rather heavy. I promise it gets lighter as we go. But any good narrative, you lay out the problem before you offer the solution. Okay? So stay with me here a minute. Can I tell you what sin does? It brings hurt and pain. It brings tears. This man was so broken that he would use stones to cut himself open and bleed. We have an epidemic where our young children who are growing up in broken situations, are taking knives and cutting their arms, cutting the inside of their arms, causing themselves to bleed. Now, I believe that there was a fad of this going around, and some teenagers were doing it just to gather attention. But can I tell you, not all of them were. Not all of them were. I think of, um, I think of people who lie in bed at night, and maybe they have not caused any physical injury to themselves. But inside, they're tore up, and they're hurting, and they're troubled, and they, they, they cry at night, or they're tempted to cry at night. Maybe there's such a strong exterior shell on them that they're able to keep the tears from flowing down their cheeks, but inwardly, they're miserable. They're miserable. Can I tell you why? Because Satan has a plan for your life, and God has a plan for your life. And if you allow Satan to run free course in your life, can I promise you what he'll do? He'll eat you up, he'll, he'll chew you up, and he'll spit you out. He doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. This man had given himself over to living the devil's way, and what happened? He ended up separated from his friends. What ended up happening? Oh yeah, he had strength that was, that was impressive. But at the end of the day, he cried aloud and he cut himself with stones. He was broken. He was broken. A troubled friend. You came in the door today and you have this facade that everything is together. Everything's okay. That life really isn't all that bad. Did you also walk in the door today and behind that side, are you carrying some heavy burdens? Are you carrying some, some, some painful things in your life? Can I tell you that sometimes it isn't my sin that cuts deep, it's someone else's sin that cuts me deep. Sometimes people are born in homes and situations that are just broken and dysfunctional. And they're hurt from the time that they're an infant. They grow up hurt and broken. And all they do is they grow up and repeat that cycle. Now, I want to make sure that I'm abundantly clear here. If you came in the door today and you are a troubled friend, you, uh, whether it's 
dramatically troubled or just lightly troubled. You're carrying some troubles in your heart. Uh, can I tell you today that at White Oak Baptist Church, we're not here to throw stones at you. We're here to tell you about the love of Jesus. We're here to show you that there is an answer to those problems. A troubled friend. Number two, notice a touched friend. A touched friend. This man was about to have a watershed moment in his life. Things were going to dramatically turn around for the better. So, in order to have something work out in your favor, the status quo needs to change. Everybody understand that? We've all heard the age-old definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. If you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. We understand that? So this man, if he's going to continue to live in the tombs and cut himself and cry aloud and be possessed with devils, controlled by devils, uh, yeah, he gets the strength, but boy, the trade-off isn't so good. Separated from his friends, sorrowful day and night, something's going to have to change. And that change came in the form of a person. Notice letter A, the person who touched him. The person who touched him. Look at verse number 6. It says, but when he, this is the, the, the troubled friend, when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. Look back up at verse number uh, 1 for a minute. And they, this is Jesus and the disciples, came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, and when he was come out of the ship. What's that next word? Immediately. Immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. I want you to picture this. Jesus has been on the other side of the Sea of Galilee doing ministry work, healing people and helping people and doing the miracles that Jesus did when He walked the earth. He gets in His boat with His disciples. He comes across to a place that seems vacant and He was probably looking to catch a breath with His disciples and and sort of just get a break. And He comes off the boat. He docks the boat. They're wrapping the rope there at the dock. He, He steps off the ship and immediately Immediately, this man, possessed with the devil, this man who is troubled, is standing right there to meet Jesus. Go back with me to verse number 7. Verse number 7. It's speaking of the, of, the, of the troubled friend. It says, And cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I adjure thee by God, that thou torment me not. The person who touched him. I'm going to tell you today that if you come in the door and you're troubled, you have a lot of, uh, of, of strife going on in your heart, whether that's, again, your sin that's brought on that strife, someone else's sin that's brought on uh, this strife. I, I'm going to tell you today that there are a lot of options out there for you to run to. There are programs. Uh, and, and by the way, I'm not saying that uh, any one of these things is necessarily bad in and of itself. They may be good, but I'm going to give you an option that is far superior to any of these. There may be programs, there may be a doctor, uh, there may be a therapist, uh, uh, there may be uh, some medicine that you can take. But can I tell you today that a lot of those items that the world offers you to fix your problems, they're meant to distract you from the ultimate fix to your problem. And the ultimate fix to your problem problem is not that you turn to a doctor, not that you turn to a pill bottle per se, not that you turn to a therapist, not that you turn to some state-run program. The answer is that you run on your and fall on your knees and throw yourselves at the mercies of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is 
the person who can touch you and heal you. You say, well, what makes Jesus so special? I'm just going to put it to you plain and simple. Jesus is God. He is God. The Bible tells us that Jesus left heaven, that He robed Himself in flesh, and He was born amongst us. John 1, verse 14 says, the Word, speaking of Jesus, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And about a month and a half or two months from now, let's see, October 13th, See, we two, two, two and a half months from now, we'll celebrate Christmas. And Christmas is meant to give us and our Western world a chance to celebrate the birth of the Savior amongst us. Aren't you glad that God wrapped Himself in flesh and was born and lived amongst us? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is God. Now, Jesus left heaven because He saw that humanity was broken and troubled. Broken and troubled. That's all of us here today. And Jesus lived a perfect life, and then He died on the cross. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Did He die on the cross so that you could be born some 2,000 years later, and then try to be a good person to get into heaven? Is that why He died on the cross? I've had plenty of people tell me that they think they're going to heaven because they're a good person. And I'm sure, with as many guests as we have here today, that there are those in the room right now that probably think that. And I can tell you that I can understand how you can logically deduce that. In fact, I'll, I spend my life asking people, do you know you're going to heaven someday? And, and they'll say yes, or I think so. And I'll say, well, what are you putting your reliance in to get you to heaven? And commonly, in some form or another, the answer is, well, I do my best to be a good person. And if you're in that camp today, if you're in that crowd today, I want to ask you a question. And here's the question. If being a good person was enough to get you to heaven then what in the world was Jesus doing, leaving heaven, coming to earth, and dying on a cross? If I could be a good person that could get me into heaven, why did He need to die? What, what was that all about? I'm going to tell you right now that Jesus is the answer to your troubles. To your troubles. Jesus is the answer not only to the heart trouble you're feeling right now, that set of circumstances that troubles you, He's the answer to your eternal trouble. Turn over with me, if you will, to um, Revelation chapter 21. It's the last book of the Bible. Hold your place in Mark. We're not done there. Revelation chapter number 21. I want to make sure I lay out for you the severity of the problem here. Now, in Revelation chapter 21, we have come to the end of the world. And the book of Revelation lays out that whole story. That's a pretty, pretty, pretty interesting journey to read through Revelation. But here we make it all the way to the end of the book. And God is judging those who died with sin on their record. Look at verse number 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers, and whoremongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters. Stop the reading. That's a pretty bad crowd, is it not? Murderers, and adulterers, and whoremongers. Look at the next one. And all liars. How many murders do you need to commit to be a murderer? One. How many lies do you need to tell to be a liar? I'm going to raise my hand on this one. How many of you here today have told at least one lie... In your life, hold up your hand. If your hand's not up, you're lying right now. Okay? Alright, do we all qualify to be in this verse? 
Okay, let's keep reading. Shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. What is the place that burns with fire and brimstone? That's hell. You say, but I'm a good person. Look, you, you, can, you can stack up all the good deeds you want over here, and you can stack up all the sin over here. Can I tell you that God is a judge, and as a judge, He is a just judge. And as a just judge, He's not concerned about the good of your life. He's concerned about the bad of your life. If I went out today and committed murder and stood in a courtroom, and I told the judge after I'd been found guilty, but I was a pastor for ten years, and I loved people, I visited folks in the hospital, and I counseled broken marriages, and I helped a lot of people. You know he's going to look at me and say, I don't care about all the good you've done. You took someone's life. You must pay for that crime. And one day, God is going to look at me and He's going to look at you. And if you die in your sin and that sin is on your record, God's not going to be concerned about the good of your life. He's going to be focused on the crime of the sin of your life. And God, as a just judge, cannot let sinners into heaven. You say, then what do I do? You must turn to Jesus, just like this troubled friend did. Jesus stepped off the shore, uh, stepped off the boat onto the shore, and this man who was troubled, he immediately ran out of the tombstone, out of the graveyard, and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus, and the Bible says he immediately sought him out. And today I would tell you, the Bible says, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't delay. Run to Jesus. The person who touched him, notice uh, letter B, the power that changed him. The power that changed him. Let's go back to Mark 5 and let's read what happened next. This is, this is crazy and this is crazy awesome. Look at verse number 8. So this man has thrown himself at the feet of Jesus and there's this conflict within him. He wants Jesus to heal him. The demons that possess him want nothing to do with it. And so he's in a bipolar sense, he's torn. He's torn inwardly on his opinion of Jesus. Look at verse 8. For he saith unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, speaking to the unclean spirit, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he, this is the demon within the man, besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding, and all the devils or the demons besought him, saying, Send us into the swine, that we may enter into them. Now let me pause the reading. These demons knew who Jesus was, and they were terrified of Jesus, because they knew the power that Jesus had, and they were scared to death that Jesus was going to take them and send them to the lake of fire ahead early, ahead of time. And so they're begging Jesus not to do that, and they say, the demons say to Jesus, you see those pigs over there, you see those swine over there, send us that we may possess the swine. Verse 13, And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. They were about two thousands. That's how many uh, uh, that's how many demons went in to possess these uh, swine and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see uh, what it was that was done. And they came to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Wow, I wish I could have seen this take place. 
This demon-possessed man runs to Jesus and throws himself down and he's troubled and he wants out of this uh, agreement he's made with the devil. He wants out. And so Jesus begins to have this conversation with the demons that are inside this man. And, and Jesus says to the demons, He says, uh, uh, or the demons rather say to him, please don't send us, don't punish ahead of time. Can we go into those swine, into those pigs? And Jesus says, sure. And He sends them over and they possess these Pigs and these pigs go running and they fall off the edge of a cliff into a river and they drown in the river. You know why? Because d- d- demonic, satanic activity again brings death. Now imagine you are the keeper of the pigs. You are a pig farmer. Or you are a hireling for the pig farmer. And your job is to make sure nothing happens to the swine. You think these guys got fired? I think these guys probably lost their job. They go running into town. And they tell, they say, you won't believe what just happened. We were there, and these pigs, they were being pigs. But then they were really being pigs. They ran right off the edge of the cliff and fell, and they were oinking away, and they're dead. They're gone. And it was that guy Jesus' fault. Well, now Jesus is messing with the cash flow of the town. And i got to tell you, when you go mess with people's money, they don't like you too much. They don't like you too much. So these people came running out to where Jesus was, and they said to Jesus, they said, you need to leave. You need to leave. Then they look over and see the man that had been possessed with the devil. And the Bible says that he was clothed. That means prior he was not clothed. But he had put some clothes on and he was sitting there and this troubled friend was no longer troubled. Why? Because the power of God had changed his life. Jesus is God, and God is omnipotent. There is nothing that God cannot do. He made the mountains and the sea uh, with His voice. He, he, the Bible says He stretched out the heavens. How in the world can we see light from a star that's trillions of, uh, of years, uh, trillions of light years away? Because Jesus reached down with His hands and He grabbed the stars and He stretched them in their place and left the light trail behind it. Jesus is all-powerful because He's God. Whatever trouble you walked in the door with today, there is no trouble, there is no problem, there is no heartache of soul that Jesus Christ, if you'll turn to Him and you'll call on His name and you'll put your faith in Him, that He cannot reach down and help you with. If Jesus could help this man who was troubled to this degree, whatever trouble you came in walking, came walking in the door with today, Jesus can help you too. How about it today, friend? Are you, have you been touched by the saving hand of God? You see, when uh, I was a four-year-old boy, I had heard the good news of Jesus, how He had come to earth, how He had lived, how that He had died on the cross in my place, how He had suffered my hell for me, how that, yes, God was just and He hated my sin, but He loved me. And just as this man had the unclean spirits separated from him, God wanted to reach into my heart and take the sin off my account so that He could save me. He did not love my sin, but boy, He loved me. He loved me so much that He allowed His Son to come down to earth and live a perfect life and go and die on a cross and while on that cross bear my sin in His body and allow my sin to kill Him there. And that if I would just look at the cross, if I would find Follow the example of this troubled friend and run to Jesus and believe that He could heal me, that Jesus would take away my sins and give me eternal life. 
You see, the Bible says that all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire. But my friend, you don't have to be labeled a liar in heaven. God wants to write your name in a different book. You see, there's books that are going to be sprawled out in heaven. There's the book, that's the Bible. There's the book of the sins of your life. And then there's another book called the Lamb's Book of Life. You're going to stand in front of God one day and one of two books is going to be present. Either the stack of books that contain the sins of your life, or if you'll turn to Jesus and put your faith in Him to, to take your sins away, he'll, he'll take those books and He'll bury them in the deepest sea, and He'll take the book of life and He'll write your name in that book. And your sins will be no more. You must turn to Jesus and believe on Him. Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way. The truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. You want to get into my Father's house? You must put your faith and come in through me. Number three, and lastly notice, a testifying friend. A testifying friend. Look at uh, letter A. Notice his commission. Now this guy is stoked that Jesus has healed him. I mean, he is, he's on cloud nine. He was running around the tombs naked and crying out loud and cutting himself and, 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 and no one wanted to have anything to do and they were scared of him and he was deaf, 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 deaf. And, and then he came into Jesus and Jesus through his power took these demons away and healed him and now he's clothed, he's sober minded, he's thinking straight and Jesus and the disciples have been told to leave so they're going to get back in their boat and leave. And this man follows Jesus to the boat and he says, can I come with you? And Jesus says, I want you to follow me, but I want you to follow me and stay here. I want you to follow me ideologically. You can't get in the boat with me, but I have a commission for you. Look at verse 19. Mark chapter 5, look at verse number 19. The Bible says, Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but saith unto him, Go home to thy friends, and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee, and hath had compassion on thee. God said, here's what I want you to do. Your friends don't want me here, but they're your friends and they love you. I want you to go back into town and start telling people one at a time about how my power changed your life. Let her be notice his compliance. His compliance. Look at verse 20. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis, that was the city he was living in, how great things Jesus had done for him and all men did marvel. All men did marvel. I'm going to finish up the sermon right now. I want everyone's undivided attention. Okay, Please, please, please give me your attention. There are a dozen of you, two dozen of you who are here today because someone invited you. Someone who cared for you invited you. Can I tell you that the person who invited you to this church who attends this church, there was a day where they were a troubled friend. There was a day where they were broken by sin. And there was a day where they ran to the feet of Jesus and called on His name and the power of Jesus reached down and touched their heart and saved their soul from hell and put their feet on a path to heaven. They went to Jesus and said, Jesus, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, then I want you 
to go tell your friends about me. Can I tell you that if you're here today and a friend invited you, they are obeying the commission that God gave them. The commission to bring their friends to Jesus. Now, you're here. You may not be as troubled as this guy in Mark 5. But can I tell you that if you die in your sin, the Bible is crystal clear on this. You may not like what I'm about to say, but over and over and over and over again in Scripture it says this, if you die in your sin, the Bible is very clear that you're going to spend eternity in hell. Jesus loves you, and He's provided a way for you to get to heaven. You now must run to Jesus and allow His grace to change your life. I mentioned a moment ago about when I was a four-year-old boy. Let me finish with that. As a four-year-old boy, I had been raised in church. And I had been taught this at home. I had been taught this uh, uh, in, in Sunday school. And I, 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 it had just been given to me over and over and over again. I was sitting, it was a larger auditorium, but I was sitting in this side of the auditorium about halfway back next to my dad on a Sunday evening. And the pastor preached a sermon very similar to the one I preached today to you. And boy, I, usually as a four-year-old boy, I was fidgety. I was playing around and my dad had to keep squeezing my knee to get me to sit up straight and listen. But that particular night, I was locked into everything the preacher said. And the Lord was doing a work in my heart. The Lord was saying in my heart, He was saying, listen to Him. Listen to Him. You're not one of mine yet. You've not yet believed on Me. You've not yet come to Me to have your sins forgiven. That pastor shut down the sermon and he said this at the end of the sermon. He said, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ to take away your sins and you would like to go to heaven... I invite you to come to the front. I got up out of my seat, I sh- I, like, a, like, a, like, a, uh, like a sprinter. I got up out of my seat and I ran down to the front and I laid down on the steps and my dad came and sat me down on the front pew and my dad opened up the Bible and he explained some very basic things. He said, you are a sinner. And I nodded my head and said, yes, I know. He said, you deserve to go to hell for your sin. And I said, yes, I know that. He said, Jesus Christ went through hell for you on the cross. He became your sin, and your sin, along with my sin, killed him. I said, I'm so glad to know that he did that. And my dad said to me, he said, if you will believe in Jesus and ask him to take away your sin, or rather, if you'll believe in Jesus and call on his name, he'll give you the gift of eternal life. He'll wash away your sins. His power will save you. And as a four-year-old boy, April 8, 1988, I bowed my head with tears running down my cheeks, and I asked Jesus to heal me, to take away the sin and give me that gift of eternal life. Can I tell you that you must have a point in your life where you do the same thing? The Bible says, if you'll call on the name of the Lord, that thou shalt be saved. You call on His name. What does that mean to call on His name? I want you to imagine that my family and your family go out on Long Island Sound for the day and and I fall into the sound and I don't know how to swim. And I call out to you, I say, save me! What am I calling on you to do? I'm calling on you to rescue my life. And you throw a life raft out to me and I grab that and you pull me in the boat and I called on your name and you saved me. My friend, you must see that you're drowning in the ocean of sin, but that Jesus wants to save you. He's just waiting on you to humble your heart and call on His name. Will you do that today? Will you do it right now? Let's have every head bowed and let's have every eye closed.
I don't think I could have presented this too much clearer. Whether you're troubled on the level of this man or you're just troubled mildly, the fact is we all have sin and sin troubles all of us. Jesus is the answer to your trouble. You must throw yourself at the feet of Jesus. You must ask Him to use His power, the power of the cross, to save you. Right there where you are in that pew, if you've never, ever, never, ever asked Jesus to take away your sins and give you the gift of eternal life, and you see that you are drowning in the ocean of sin, and that Jesus is ready to rescue you, I would like to help you to do that right where you are. Just as I prayed a prayer with my father all the way back in 1988, I would like to help you pray a prayer right where you are. Now, there is no magic in this prayer. There's no um, perfect set of words that God's looking for you to say. Can I tell you what God's looking for right now? He's looking for the faith in your heart. You can go through Scripture and you can find multiple people who became converted to Christianity. And all of them prayed a little bit different. God's not looking for a set of words. He just needs to know that you believe in Him. That you're turning from some religious system or belief in your, in your own good works. And you're putting your faith solely and simply in Jesus. With your heads bowed and eyes closed right where you are, if you've never asked Christ to take away your sin, can I help you to do that right now? Will you follow the lead of this gentleman in Mark 5 and will you ask Jesus to heal your soul? Just right where you are, just pray this prayer under your breath. You don't need to say it out loud, just pray it under your breath. Just say this, say, Dear Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I know my sin condemns me to hell. I know that you died on the cross in my place. Thank you for suffering for me. Jesus, I believe in you, and you alone is my way to heaven. Save my soul. Give me the gift of eternal life. I love you, Jesus. In your name. Now, with your heads bowed and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer for the first time and you meant that with all your heart, you asked Jesus to save you. You asked Jesus to rescue you. I'd like to rejoice with you. Everyone else's heads bowed and everyone else's eyes closed, but I would like to rejoice with you. Very quietly where you are, if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand? Right where you are, would you just slip up your hand? A number of folks are raising their hand. If you hold it up for a minute, I'd like to see. I'd like to see, look around and see who prayed that prayer. I'd like to rejoice with you. Amen. Anybody else pray that prayer? If you prayed that prayer, and only if you prayed that prayer, would you look up here at me for just a moment? Would you look up here at me just for a moment if you prayed that prayer? Thank you for making the most important decision of your life. This is the beginning of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Our church would love to help you continue that relationship. And your friend who brought you today would like to help you continue that relationship. But please understand that you're now a child of God. You've left being a child of the world. You're now a child of God. And the Bible says that you're a new creature. I'm going to be standing in the back after the service this morning. I would love to shake your hand and congratulate you on that decision and help you in any way 
that we can help you. Thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for what you've done in our midst this morning. Would you move in our hearts in this time of invitation? Help those that made that decision, Lord, to uh, really deeply consider what they've done. And, Lord, to be sincere with it. Lord, um, uh, the rest of us here today that are already part of your family, would you help us to be sincere in sharing our faith? In Jesus' name, amen.